This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Zach Moore, and as I predicted, they've called Ken Tripp back for more reshoots on the Green Berets, so I'm your host this week, but I'm not alone. Uh, I'm joined by fellow Trek fan and podcaster, Brandy Jacola. What's up, Brandy? Oh, I am so excited to be here. It may not sound in my voice because I am containing said excitement as to not scare the listeners. <laughs> I won't want to scare anyone here. <laughs> uh, because, you know, Star Trek, believe it or not, guys can be scary, especially when you're a young child. Right, Brandy? Oh, yes, indeed. Yes, so indeed. Th- this was a topic suggestion by Brandy, and uh, uh, we're always looking for you know fresh voices and new topics here on, on Standard Orbit. So I thought this was a very interesting one because I grew up watching Star Trek as a child, even though you know, I was born in the 80s, uh, you know, watching Next Gen. But then also my parents were huge Trekkies, so they had taped Star Trek <laughs> you know, off the air. So all these VHS oh, yeah. tapes, you know, not, not not the official releases, mind you. We were talking like no. taped off television, um, mm-hmm. VHS, VCR technology. So I would watch all these shows and uh, it's uh, it can be unsettling to kids, can't it, Brandy? It can, especially for a child such as I was, because I'm I'm what can be medically or um, psychologically termed as a highly sensitive person. And that doesn't mean that I take offense easily, but it means that my sensory input levels are always at 11. And so things that don't affect other people or only affect them a little bit, I'm in the corner crying about it. So, (laughs) and I mean, there were even upsetting things on Sesame Street that I cried about, like this whole thing that they did about how milk is you know, bottled and sent. And it was, it starts out with this little baby in a crib and crying because they have no milk. And I'm just like, why don't they give that baby some milk? And so, you know, I would, I would just go hide behind a chair and cry for a while because I knew that that was not the normal thing that people usually do. You know, hiding behind a chair, I use that terminology. And uh, there's only a couple of times that Star Trek has really more than just frightened me, kind of grossed me out. And uh, one would be Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Where Khan puts the the eels inside of uh, Terrell I, and Chekhov's ear. I left the room. I left the room. <laughs> uh, we were watching it at home, the whole family. I left the room. I went in my parents' bedroom and turned on the TV and watched Love Boat. And then I was going to watch Fantasy Island, which, funny, Ricardo Montalbán. Okay, there you go, the connection. And it was not on. And so I'm like, okay, I will go back in the other room. And the things were just coming out of the ears. I'm just like, what? You timed that all wrong. Yes, uh, I, I sure did. So, so there's that, and then obviously, conspiracy when they blow up Remick. Uh, that is just the most disgusting, gruesome, scary thing I've ever seen. I'm like, you know, I'm like five years old watching this. <laughs> what is so Star Trek into? But that that's not really that's like extreme stuff, and that's not really what we're talking about today. We're talking about you know just just unsettling, creepy stuff, scary stuff that yes. that that intellectually when you're older you're like oh that is that is creepy that's unsettling but when you're a kid you know when when the reality and the fantasy of everything is still still kind of blurred that that really that that sits with you you know and um uh, the, the kind of stuff that, that that strikes me more than anything like if there's one example of anything 
like any fiction that it, that it strikes me. And there, there's Star Trek connections here too. Uh, Brandy, you've been a, a, a frequent contributor to the Twilight Zone podcast, yes, uh, so I which I'm a big fan of, and and uh, and their work over there. So we're both big Twilight Zone fans. So big shock to you all, I'm sure. But my favorite episode of the Twilight Zone is Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet. Mm-hmm. With with William Shatner, he sees the gremlin on the wing. You see that as a kid, that scars you for life. Like any window, anywhere, I always think like somebody's gonna be looking in at me, you know. And it's like I, you go on airplanes and you're like, oh, I don't want to sit by the window because the gremlin's out there, you know. That, that's the kind of stuff that that, that just that gets you when you're a kid. And that's what we're tapping into here, talking about the original series because there's something about that. I don't know. There's something about like the 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 film techniques or, or the direction or just something in the '60s that kind of film norish. Uh, approach they had back then, which, you know, in the 80s, but, you know, next generation onward with these Star Trek shows, of course, we were all older, so they didn't strike yeah. us the same way. But at the same time, it's like, you know, video, TV stuff. I mean, this stuff is like film, you know, in, in the old days. And I, I, I really feel like that plays the role in the creepiness of it. And also, you know, the great Alfred Hitchcock approach to things, what you don't see is often scarier than what you do see. Always. So, so Always. The, the limitations of, like, the original series and, you know, the Twilight Zone as well. Uh, what, you know, they just show you little hints of things and then your imagination fills in the blanks. And that stuff can really unsettle you. Agreed. Because I have a very uh, active imagination. And so I, it's no problem for me to fill in the blanks with the worst possible thing that <laughs> can be thought of. I'm very good at that. So this, you know, th- this topic kind of springs from your early Star Trek fandom. So why don't you, why don't you just, but before we really dive into the subject here, Brandy, tell, tell us a little bit about your Star Trek fandom, how you started watching it. Obviously, that spins into what we're talking about now, but then kind of through the years, how you've kept up with uh, the franchise and whatnot. Yes, well, uh, I have always been a Star Trek fan, probably since before birth, because my parents were fans. And I was born in 1973, which was when it was it had gained this massive following due to being in syndication. And so it was always on, it seemed. It felt like it was it was on like every day of the week. And when it was on, we were all in front of the TV, everyone in the family, just all five of us, we were in front of the TV. And so I don't remember a time before Star Trek. I remember a time before Star Wars. I remember a time before Battlestar Galactica. You know, I remember those things, but I do not remember a time before Star Trek because it has always been there. And it was something that my parents loved and just, I don't know if it was by osmosis that we just were like, yep, this is great. Let's do this. And when we were kids, we even had a toy phaser that had a trigger and you pulled the trigger and made the sound and a communicator that when you flipped it open, it made the communicator sound. I do not know what happened to them. I think my grandmother threw them away because Star Trek was evil. She wouldn't let us watch it at her house because science fiction was evil. So my mom's like, no, no, it's okay. We'll just watch it at home. We'll just watch it at home. Those would be worth so much money right now if you still have I know. I know. And uh, and so when Next Generation came along, I was like, yep, I'm totally on board with this. And let's do it. And so we're all there in front of the TV watching the premiere. And it was it was appointment television in our family. It's like, oh, it's time for Star Trek. Everybody in the family room, let's get there now. And then Deep Space Nine came along, and I did not have as great of appreciation for that. And I think it was a maturity thing because I was like 19 or so at that point, And it just, I just didn't understand enough about the world in general and about humanity to appreciate and understand how great that series was. But a couple of years ago, I started rewatching it because I had never gotten past through halfway through the first season. And then it was just, it was like a revelation. Oh, why did I wait this long? But then I realized I wouldn't have the appreciation for it if I hadn't been more mature. And then Voyager came along. We watched Voyager. My husband and I, we watched it and all seven seasons. And then Enterprise came along. We watched that. Part of the problem with those shows is they often got moved around time-wise or in the case of uh, Enterprise preempted by football. So it made it difficult to always catch when those episodes were on, especially when Voyager was on, because back then there were no DVRs, you know, there was, there was a TV guide, a physical book, and it was printed in advance. And if there were changes, you didn't know about it. You just tuned in. It's like, oh, okay. So it's not on. Or if you forget to set the VCR properly and like, oh no. Yep. <laughs> it would be almost more frustrating 
when it gets delayed. Like you're talking about football preemptive, like sports uh-huh. delaying Star Trek, right? So mm-hmm. you know, I, and I love sports. There's a place for sports. There's a place I for agree. Star Trek. I, but I before, actually love football, so it's all good. <laughs> before DVR, right? Yeah, uh, when because like, nowadays it's like predictive DVR. It's like oh, it shifts everything down. You know, it's great. Yes, but. Say that, you know, you were out all day and because, you know, a lot of these shows are in syndication, right? So it's like Deep Space Nine is going to come on Saturday at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. But there was a football game or a basketball game that, that ran too long. So everything got shifted. So you get home, you know, the next day or whatever. You pop in the VHS and you realize, hey, it's not starting yet. And you fast forward it and it starts like half an hour through. And you're like, oh, well, good. Oh, oh no. That means I didn't get the second half. Yeah. <laughs> That has happened to me more than a few times, and that is why I love DVRs. <laughs> I think they're amazing and wonderful, and it's, you know, now I can record six shows at the same time, <laughs> which is really great because there are a lot of shows they put on on Tuesday nights during the regular season, and I can't <laughs> watch them all at once. But anyway, so yeah. Uh, and of course, I was a big fan of the films as well. Um, I didn't see one or two in the theater because my parents thought I was too young, but we saw everything well, past yeah, three. Uh, you would have uh, died of fright from Star Trek I, 2, I think. Oh, I would, it <laughs> would have been. In theater. But uh, when Star Trek 3 Search for Spock came out, I was fine with that. No problems there. Uh, we, and we went to all of these films as a family every time it was just star trek is what we did you know that was a family thing we all love sci-fi we're all big nerds even my mom so yeah that's uh, it's just always been a part of my life and always been i don't important to me i i read a lot of the next generation books while i was watching next generation and after and then i got a job and a life and it became harder and harder <laughs> to do as much reading as when you're, you know, just a bum kid at home oh, with yeah, yeah. I used to no date a, on a Friday. So yeah, you just got to have Friday's books and get, you know, all the Star Trek novels and stuff like that. So I have, I have a good back catalog of novels from those days. But, I mean, that's yeah. kind of how I fell off uh, my Star Trek fandom was, you know, during Enterprise. And I was in high school, was doing things, living life, you know. And just wasn't enough, uh, wasn't enough time of the day. And, and Enterprise, you know, was kind of hit or miss there for a while. So it just, mm-hmm. it kind of, so by the time Enterprise ended, I was just, like, not even plugged into the fandom. I didn't even, like see those episodes live or anything uh and then uh you know just uh in recent years you know uh, uh finding trek fm for example you know re- yeah. reinvigorated my fandom and then obviously the kelvin timeline reinvigorated star trek itself so it's back and you know we got new exciting things coming and uh it, it's, it's a fun time to be a trekkie it is it very much is and my memories of star trek as a young child are so strongly tied to my father because when there was one of those episodes that terrified me you know, I usually tried to just be a big girl and get through it, but sometimes it was just too much. And I would say, Daddy, can I come sit with you? And he would let me sit in the big chair with him. And that was okay. It's like I knew my dad would not let anything happen to me ever. And so I could get through the rest of the episode and, you know, maybe still be scared, but not so much to the point that I shut down. So, and unfortunately, I lost my father in 2005. And he would just love all of the Star Trek fandom that's going on today. The The only problem, well, I, I wasn't so hot on the Kelvin timeline uh, until beyond, um, but I didn't hate it because, well, actually I hated Into Darkness, but I didn't hate <laughs> the movies as a whole because of how they reinvigorated Star Trek. And that can't be faulted in any way. More fans is always a good thing. More people coming into this because of those movies. And now they're going back and they're watching those other series and they're becoming even more of a Star Trek fan. That is a brilliant, brilliant thing. And the biggest problem with me seeing the first movie was they had this ad campaign going on saying, this is not your father's Star Trek. And that really just put me off. I'm I, like, can, I can see the, the one-two oh, punch oh, of that working on this, you. Yeah. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, don't you talk about my father's Star Trek right now. Do not even go there. And so I was dead set against seeing it, but I still went and saw it on my birthday, (laughs) no less. And I was just like, okay, so this is the world now. This is the Star Trek world now, okay? So so beyond one, you back, though. 
Yeah, Beyond, I had heard a lot of people say that they liked it, and they were people that didn't like the first two movies. And it was the first time where I felt like there was real camaraderie between the crew. Like, I could actually finally believe the relationships. They didn't feel so forced. They felt so forced and into darkness to me. It just felt so forced. I thought, is Spock really going to get that upset at Kirk dying? Really? I just don't, I just don't see that. There wasn't, there wasn't enough establishing relationship for me to feel that. But in Beyond, I believed every single relationship and it was just so much fun. And I will watch pretty much anything with Chris Pine in it. And then you add Idris Elba and I'm like, oh yeah, Carl Urban. Definitely. So yeah, I, I just enjoyed the heck out of that. And I, we only watched it for the first time about a month ago and I have watched it like three more times since then and still enjoyed it. I'm making up for lost time. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Very fun. Oh, great. Well, that's a nice, uh, overlook at your Star Trek fan of for sure, Brandy. So let's, let's take you back. Let's take you back to being a little kid sitting with your dad watching Star Trek. What, what episodes? Do you have that really left an impression on you when you were a kid? Like it made you well, hey dad, protect me, you know. There's there's one of them that is you're gonna say what? <laughs> and probably because it doesn't seem scary to most people, but even when I was rewatching it, I was just like, Oh yep, I can totally see why that scared me. But the first one that absolutely terrified me, and the funny thing is is that I saw these episodes in the order the order that I put them in on my list. When I was a kid, which uh, two of them are from season one and one of them is from season two. And they were, you know, I saw the first one first. So they were running them chronologically. But first one is The Devil in the Dark. And when I rewatched that, I totally understood why it terrified me so much. Because it starts off like a freaking horror movie. Yeah, you have this cold open. There's nobody that you recognize, nobody that you know. And it's these guys in these dark tunnels. And they're afraid of something. And, oh, phasers don't affect it. And we still have to be on guard duty, so let's go do our rounds. And then this thing that you don't really see comes out of the dark and just kills a guy. And they all run over, and he's just, it's just this acid stain on the ground. And cue credits. That's a freaking horror movie, man. So it's it was absolutely terrifying because this episode, I mean, just light wise, just as far as actual lighting, there is very there's no natural light because they're underground. It's a mining facility. And even just the wide matte painting of the mining facility makes me think of aliens. And I'm just like, yeah, it's just it's just a place that I would never have wanted to be. And again, what you see is not as scary as what you imagine you see. But but about a third of the way into the episode, we do finally see the Horta, not to be confused with the Vorta, two different species. And uh, and even then, it was so alien. It was just so alien. We were used to all of these humanoid aliens and everybody just having maybe a ridge or something or maybe, you know, eyebrows or, you know, Fu Manchu mustache. But, but this thing was just not like any other alien that had been on Star Trek. And it was terrifying because it could come at you from anywhere. It can tunnel through rock. You're not going to see it coming until it's too late and it's dissolving you with its acid. And that was horrible horrifying to a four-year-old child (laughs) absolutely horrifying so that's one that more scared you in concept than in visuals then is that correct both the visuals still scared me because the horta it basically looks like lava rock but like i mean like it's rock but like there's almost lava in it and i just and spock's gonna go my melt with it and i'm like no no, what are you doing? Stop. Don't touch that thing. It's going to hurt you. It's going to burn you, man. Because, you know, I'm a four-year-old and everybody's favorite character is Spock. Come on. So, I mean, he was my favorite character. Though, if I had to go with the person I identify the most with, it would be McCoy because he is so overly emotional. I'm like, yep, I feel it. Got it. You know, for the Horda, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned the lava rock. I always thought it looked kind of like a pizza. <laughs> it's uh, just yeah, crawling you know, around. As- as an adult, yes. It's like I never As wanted to like eat pasta or pizza by watching this episode. It just kind of creeped me out. Just like I don't want to eat pancakes when I watch Operation Annihilate. Uh, uh. It's, the same, it's the same logic. I don't want to uh, eat what I'm seeing 
on the screen. It's just uh, this disconnect yep. there. Yep. No, I totally get that. Um, I actually, as an adult, uh, and I still appreciate the costume design of the Horta uh, because it was so alien and it was so well performed. And so, uh, but it, to me now, it looks like that fake vomit that you buy in joke stores, like at Spencer's or whatever. Right. So, but, uh, but it's, you know, the, the rest of the episode, there is still that, that tense feeling of, is this thing going to kill us? Are we going to help it? What are we going to do? And, and again, I'm scared when Spock is mind melding and he's just, he's screaming in pain. And I'm just like, no, no, this is not right. But, you know, by the end of the episode, you're like, okay, yeah, we're on the Horde of side now and you guys are jerks. So <laughs> stop it. It's one of those things where all of the episodes that I've chosen, they all have mystery to them. You don't know what's really going on at first and the crew has to piece together what is actually going on. And so, and I'm a fan of mystery, of course, and read a lot of mysteries when I was a kid and a young adult and I still read them today. So I appreciated that they kind of turned the tide and showed you this is not what you think it is. Uh, but I don't think they were really thinking about, oh, this is going to terrify children because most children would probably be like, yeah, okay. And I'm just like, ah, daddy. So yeah, it's, was- it's like I never. I was never terrified of any of these monsters on Star Trek, but at the same time, I I never laughed at them either. You know, mm-hmm. I just accepted, oh, well, that's the Horda, or the Gorn. Yeah. Like, oh, well, that's the Gorn, right? And like, it's not like, oh, look, it's a guy crawling around under a carpet, or that's a guy in a lizard suit. I mean, that's when you're a kid, that you know, it's that uh, the, the imagination fills in your, well, your, your disbelief is suspended longer yes. when you're a kid. <laughs> it is so much easier to suspend your disbelief when the world has not poisoned you yet. <laughs> it's It's one of those episodes that I have a great fondness for now because... I'm over that point where it's horrifying to me, but I can still look at it and see this is why it scared me. You, you've understand. conquered your fear, and you can now appreciate it. Yep, only took me 40 years. We're good. <laughs> All right. So what's your next episode that gave you nightmares as a child? <laughs> this <Ready>? one, <laughs> you're going to laugh. Speaking of Operation Annihilate, <laughs> this one gave me recurring nightmares. Really? Yes, it did. Um and again, it was one of those things. I was very, very young when I saw it, and I'd seen it more than once, but I can remember being about six or seven and staying at my grandma's house and falling asleep. You know how kids just fall asleep in the middle of something when they're tired? I wish I could do that now. Uh, and I had this dream about that, and it just it kept coming back for probably about two or three years until that dream finally stopped. It would happen like every two or three months or so. Um, and yeah, okay. They're, they're amoebas that look like pancakes. Okay. Yeah. I know as an adult, not that scary, but as a kid, you know, I, the, what I'm thinking is they're small. They can hide anywhere. You could walk under a bridge and they're on you and suddenly you're not you anymore. Suddenly you're under their control and you have to do what they want. And one of them gets on Spock. No, (laughs) no. Why do you keep hurting my Spock? It's one of those things where when you separate all the elements out, it's really not that scary. But as a whole, I found it terrifying because loss of control, I think, is frightening to anyone. And as a child, I couldn't really label that as such. But I wouldn't want to have some pancake attach itself to me and put another creature in my body that can control me and make me hurt when I don't do what they want. Why would I want that? That's horrifying. And not only that, but... The the actress who played Kirk's sister-in-law, and I, unfortunately I did not put down her name, she really made me believe she was in pain. Her screaming was almost primal level. I mean, she went for it. And so the sound of her screams, even now, unnerve me. Just like the screams of the people in the transporter accident in Star Trek, the motion picture. Oh, see, now that scared me as a child. Is that a- Oh, that scared me too. Scared <laughs> that, me too. That was truly like, I can totally relate to you on that one. That was unsettling. Like, I was genuinely mm-hmm. upset by that, like, for long periods of time. I wanted to, like, fast forward through that scene whenever I watched motion picture again. Because, I mean, for a rated G Star Trek movie, let's not forget, mm-hmm. <laughs> motion picture is rated G, and you got these yep. people melting in a transporter room. And literally, even the description, again, we keep going back to the, what you don't see is mm-hmm. scarier than what you do see. It's like, what we got back, 
didn't live long. You're like, oh, and you hear the Rah! the scream. Oh, yeah, you're taking me back. You're getting me. You're getting me here, Brandy. Good job. You got me with that one. <laughs> yeah, it's but and her the, her screams are on that level mm-hmm. for me. They are just so full of pain. She must have had a sore throat afterwards because. Wonder how just... many takes of that they did, right? Oh, I hope. Can, can, can we a little more emotion in this one, please? Yeah. One more. One more. And it's just the the sound that the amoebas. The sound make is unsettling. Yes, I, it's I agree. It's very unsettling. It's it's kind of a buzzing thing. And the thing is, I'm allergic to bees and wasps and yellow jackets, and so hearing that sound makes me think poison. There's poison near. There's poison. I gotta take cover. Don't get that. And and when if there's a a wasp anywhere near me, I will freak out. I really will, because the allergic reaction is so bad that I just you know. It's, I don't want to go through that ever again. It was, I was young when it happened and I just don't want to go through that ever again. So that was another thing that triggered something else in me. So yeah, the, the sound on its own unsettling. Yes. For me, terrifying because poison, there's poison. And technically, you know, they were poisonous because they poisoned your body and put creatures in you that just wrap themselves into your nervous system the uh, both of these episodes i think that uh, the approach is very similar they're investigating mystery they don't know what's causing this you know mm-hmm. there's a there's a, a slow burn to the reveal of the creature i'd say that the ultimate reveal of the horda is more effective than the reveal of these guys yeah because uh, they're just kind of like what is that <laughs> are those pancakes because <laughs> i thought they looked like pancakes too like kind of bloody pancakes. Yeah, but. just you're not, you know, when you're when you're not quite good enough about making pancakes, and they're not, you don't quite make the the, the circle, and they're just mm-hmm. kind of oozing off the side. <laughs> you know, that's... yeah, that's that's all of my pancakes. I'm good at waffles because they're in a waffle. Yes, iron. yes, it's so you can't mess up a waffle because there's a it's... press, it's a shape. Exactly, that is so true. So I just don't do pancakes because who wants to eat an amoeba? Um, but you know, it's one of those terrifying things because they don't, they can't get the creature out. They don't know how to do it. Conventional sur- surgery is not going to work. And they're trying to figure out what can possibly harm this thing. And especially when they find out it's just one part of a larger organism, which is even more frightening because this thing could just spread so fast. Well, with, with with Spock getting blinded in this episode, that is something that did make me sad as a mm-hmm. child. I, I never, as we're talking through these, I'm realizing, like, you know, I don't, I never really, other than the, the gruesome things I mentioned at the top of our, our, our conversation here, I never really got scared of Star Trek, but I did get, like, sad by, by Star Trek. Yeah. Like, you know, I was like, oh, no, Spock's blind? But how, oh, no. Because <laughs> you know, so yeah. you know, you're like, oh, no, how are they going to figure Of course, you know, your kid, it doesn't process in your brain yet. They're like, oh, this is an episodic television show. Everything will be reset at the end. Everybody that you yeah. lo- don't care about is fine. But at the, in, in the moment there, you're generally like, I'm just really sad for Spock because they, uh, he can't see anymore. But, you know, Vulcan's had that third extra eyelid, so it's all good. Yeah, it's all fine. And even if he had been permanently blinded, I mean, his sense of hearing was already way above humans. So, you know, when one sense is is closed off, the other senses take over and become more acute so his hearing would have gotten to the point where he could probably hear someone in engineering from the bridge you know he would have been fine he could just use sonar he wouldn't even need a walking stick yeah he could be like daredevil (laughs) yeah exactly exactly he just create a picture a sound picture in his mind so that works for me spock would be the best daredevil anyway (laughs) except he wouldn't he wouldn't be he would be he could be violent but totally cold which would freak people the heck out so just a thought i'm gonna write some fan fiction no i'm kidding i'm kidding (laughs) it's a fun idea though uh so yeah operation annihilate that's the one that gave me the most recurring nightmares because of those flying amoebas that can get you from anywhere so terrifying for me as a child as an adult yeah, I can see the elements that scared me, but as an adult, it's just kind of like, hmm, I don't remember this mystery part of it. How interesting. Hmm. That is an episode that, and they actually revisited this story in the IDW comic books, uh, Operation Annihilate. They had a different a different twist on it, and <laughs> yes, they, they draw the uh, amoebas a lot more amoeba-like and less pancake-like, so they're a lot more impressive looking. You kind of, you get like the tendrils and how they attach the nervous system. You, you see all that in the animation there. But I think, you know, we've talked, you know, on our many standard over tangents and then also topics, and we've talked about episodes that could be updated. I think, you know, if they if they redid this episode, and it, not necessarily a movie, but like a Star Trek show to redid this episode uh, mm-hmm. this, with the same swarm of amoebas here, it would definitely be uh, a lot more effective, you know, with the, I'm sure they, they would, 
they would be able to use either CGI or practical effects in a more yeah. clever way and maybe use the lighting local. Because, you know, the problem with these amoebas is, like, you're in this giant room that's really well lit and you just see them all floating around like that. Like, if they were, like, snatching onto you, like, and you couldn't see them and all that stuff, like, that would be more effective. So I feel like if they if they took another crack at this, that the core elements are there. of like, you know, and then, and then yeah, uh, uh, Peter Kirk loses his parents. That's sad, too. Again, you're a kid, you're like, oh, man. Kid mm-hmm. just lost his parents, right? So there's, there's all these there's all these elements that that, that, that could work. That uh, I, I always find this. I've always categorized this as one of the lesser episodes, especially in season one, because season one is so great. It's one of the greatest seasons yeah. of television of all time. So <laughs> this one is like eh, a middle of the road Star Trek episode in an otherwise excellent season. Yeah, and as an adult, I totally agree with that. Uh, as a child, though, all I felt was the fear. So yeah, so that's uh, that's my second one, and I have one last one, which will probably. Not come as a huge surprise, but it's the doomsday machine. The cornucopia of death, as I <laughs> called it as a child. Because I saw this right around the time that I was learning about Thanksgiving oh. and all of the drawings in school of cornucopias and stuff like that. And I'm like, that looks like a giant cornucopia. I always thought that as well, yeah. <laughs> Yes, I'm not the only one. Because people say and they look like a, a bugle chip or whatever. Those came way later. Like this. Way later. No, it's cornucopia. <laughs> cornucopia. Cornucopia is part of American history. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's again, one of those things where it's a mystery to be solved. This solar system has been destroyed. Now this solar system has been destroyed. And now this one, what is happening here? And, uh, and then, of course, you've got a crazy Commodore. Got to have a crazy Commodore. They're up there with the Badmirals. So... Uh, he it's it's frightening to see someone not in control of their faculties take control of the enterprise that to me was one of the scariest things and i'm sitting there thinking spock why aren't you doing something and then my little kid brain is like oh it's spock you know he's got a plan he's got a plan don't doubt so and as it turned out it all worked out in that respect but this idea that there's this thing that's just floating around in space, don't know who built it, don't know why they built it. All it does is consume. It destroys a planet, it consumes it for fuel. Destroys another planet, consumes it for fuel. Why? What's it for? Where did it come from? Is it even from this galaxy? All of these questions that as an adult I have, but as a kid I'm just like, thing's gonna eat the Enterprise. All these questions answered in Peter David's Vendetta, a Star Trek The Next Generation <laughs> novel. <laughs> I have read that. Yes. <laughs> Again, there are some creepy elements in this. Uh, you find this dead ship, your, mm-hmm. the sister ship to the Enterprise, 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 excuse me, just floating there they can't hail it they they don't know what's going on so they have to go over there and it's deserted it's like walking into a haunted house you just don't know what you're going to find and they can't figure out what happened until they come across decker and then they start having to put the pieces together and that the the horror that came from him when he found out that the planet was gone that was that was anguishing for me because, again, I'm one of those people that just feels everything all the time. There's no off switch. And so I, you know, I f- feel that grief. He made me believe that he was really upset. So and when I was a bit older, I was like, oh, look, it's Dr. Seth from Murder, She Wrote. So, <laughs> were, you, were you sad when he died? You know, I was and I wasn't because on one hand, I thought he was a good man at one point and he's trying to do what is best. He is trying to save lives. And on the other hand, I also felt like he was being very selfish because if he could have done it, he would have done that with the enterprise and that's not okay with me. (laughs) So it's one of those things where you can appreciate that once upon a time, this guy was not crazy and a really harrowing situation just drove him mad. It just, it just shut off all of his common sense and that also is terrifying to me. Just, just these, this idea that you could be just a really well-respected, great Commodore. You know, you're on this other flagship of the Federation and now you are a crazy person and you still think that you're sane. That's the worst part. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's as, as an adult, that planet killer 
the idea of the planet killer still scares me because it, it just, how, how do you stop it? You can't hail it. You can't talk to it. You can't reason with it. You can't destroy it so far as they knew. And so what do you do? When is it going to stop? Is it going to stop? So that was, that was terrifying as a child. And the music didn't help. The da 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 So that didn't help because it was just this, this harsh and yet not really like super fast, but it was harsh and it just, you kept being drawn closer and closer and closer and you were going to get sucked in or it was going to disintegrate you with that big beam that came out of it. Uh, I do find that with the HD conversion and the um, redoing of some of the effects, I don't actually find it as scary now as I did the original. It's too, it's too slick now. Yeah, it's, it's too clean looking. It is. It's too clean looking. Before it looked like this, this cornucopia that was like frozen on the outside. It kind of looked like it had ice on it or aluminum foil. I don't know. Take your pick. And, and the inside of it, it had that, it, it looked like almost like there was a sun going supernova in there. You know, it was like almost like a sparkler sort of thing, just constantly going in there. Terrifying. Terrifying to a small child. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, it's one of those things. That, yes, Kirk saves everything in the nick of time, but there was that very tense moment where the transporter went down again. I suggest you bid me board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, like that is one of the tense. I mean, you know Kirk's going to live. But that, okay. that, that yeah. moment there was like, oh, man, like this is really down, literally down to last second. They, the, the transporter is blowing up smoke as they're trying to beave it back. So, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Lots of good tension there. But, uh, but yeah, this is, this is a good fix there. One that we uh, overlooked or at least the creators of Star Trek would probably say we overlooked, was Cat's Paw, the Halloween episode. Did this not scare you at all, Brandy? Because <laughs> when I think of fear in Star Trek, I think of Cat's Paw. You know, it has been a while since I've watched that, and so I wouldn't be able to even say what about it scared me right off the top of my head. Scared me that they allowed this episode to air. To air, yeah. That's, that is terrifying. So, but as a child, I didn't have that kind of reason yet. So as a child, I was just kind of like, okay, I guess was my best response for that one was just, okay. Kind of like how I felt after watching the Star Wars Christmas special on television. I was kind of like, okay, the hell is this? Well, we've compared (laughs) Caspot to the Star Wars holiday special. There could be no lower... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> accolade <laughs> i'm afraid not i'm sorry i'm sorry people well, were a fan of that it's I'm like sorry. if you're trying to do things that truly scare you well they they just it's like they went to well they didn't have party city at the time but they went to party city of like the 60s and just like like oh yeah what 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 what, what scares people these days what, what are some tropes of halloween maybe got some witches let's mm. get a black cat up in here maybe an old castle you know mm-hmm. and and even mm-hmm. and they try to justify it in the episode you know like oh well they've studied our history and you know cats are traditionally the most dangerous creature I'm like what are you talking about spock like what? this is not scary at all and it, and it really thinks it is you know uh yeah. like the, the dungeon there with the skeleton is kind of unsettling but other than that, everything else is... Well, you know, and the aliens at the end, the true forms of uh, Korob and Sylvia are, are pretty like, creepy out there. You know, kudos to UTOS for trying something new design. I'm like, okay, good for you yeah. there. But other than that, this is like just the the cheapest haunted house <laughs> that you can find. Yeah. Right? And I think that's probably why I had the reaction that I did because it was just so not... I mean, it was just so... It seemed so fake. It seemed like... You know, somebody just built a, a haunted house type of thing in their basement and they were bringing little kids in to put their hands in grapes and say they were eyeballs. You know, it was like that level of no. And even as a child, I'm like, no, no, these things aren't scary. Now, flying pancakes, those are scary, <laughs> <Yes>. man. <laughs> and, and cornucopias of death totally and rock creatures those things are scary well even to a child you know and i i will i will say this for cat spas we've been kind of turning it apart here that the, there is some weight to it at the end because at the end uh they say oh all of this is just an illusion at the end uh, kirk has to say no illusion jackson is dead 
because one of the crewmen died at the beginning of the episode, and that was an illusion. He was actually dead, and that's something that you know stuck with you. Uh, excuse me, stuck with the characters more in the earlier episodes. I say earlier episodes. Caspa was the first episode produced of season two, so early enough. Uh, and then season one, people would die, like in the Man Trap, right? People would die, and Kirk would get real upset about it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I lost a man. You know, and then and so death was not something taking lightly on the original series. As we, you know, we joke about the red shirts and all that, and sure, a lot of them died. But you know, when, when Kirk lost crew members, he actually took it pretty pretty seriously and that those are the kind of things that, that that stuck with me and people would die or this or that on the original series when i was a kid yeah well and you know what i've seen episodes of the original series where there was a group of like six red shirts and you were sure that one of them was going to die no they all lived they all lived so <laughs> you know you want to use that trope fine but it's it's not necessarily always true but uh, yeah, actually, the man trap is one of my runners up for things that scared me because it was it's that whole thing of someone who can turn into anyone. Yeah, you have no idea if that's the real person in front of you. So well, and then it's it's unsettling too because th- this guy is dead, like Green, right? Crewman Green, he's dead. He's laying there dead on the planet, and yet this creature is using his image to go around the ship. And there's there's something very just unsettling about that like when 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 there is a when you're masquerading things masquerading as other people especially when those people are dead that mm-hmm. that's just great and then you know that's something that carries through with the shapeshifters on fringe you know like that you know the certain characters die and certain characters like take their place for a while and you're like oh man that that sucks because people people don't even realize their friend died you know like yeah. that's that's what that's what gets me like man like your, your friend died hours ago and and or, or weeks ago or whatever it may be in whatever case we're talking about and and by the time you find out, it's gonna be way long dead. And there's really how do you even grieve at that point, right? It just really throws you uh, mentally when you try to wrap your head around that. So th- those are just some little things there. But yeah, this uh, man trap, and then also the creature, unsettling creature, right? It's not it's not quite that gremlin on the wing, but no, I'm no, <laughs> but it's all those suction cups on its hands. It's just like oh, that's mm. gotta hurt. No, I'll, I'll, I would I'll, have to hurt. I'll say this for for the man trap, uh, for the M113 creature. Uh, aka the salt vampire uh, i i do think the the costume holds up i think it uh even though it's a mask and it's a creature it looks sad it has like emotion to it it, it creates yeah. some, some pathos some empathy um the, the gremlin on the wing and the twilight zone does not <laughs> does not hold up if i wasn't no. terrified like if i watched that the first time today I, in my cynical 20s and 30s i'd, I'd probably be <laughs> I'm like oh this really but you know when you're a kid and you see you know that window open, like, oh my god you know <laughs> I would react the same as Shattered in that episode. I commend them for that. If you can make me scared of your alien, you have done a good job. And then, of course, when I got older and Alien was actually shown to me at a friend's house when I was 12 years old, yeah, then I became afraid of a whole new thing. So You thought the original series was scary. Yeah. (laughs) Be warned. I didn't know what scary is. And there, there are some things that that I've seen in my childhood that I simply blocked out and only had vague memories of like the movie, the legend of hell house. And I didn't know what that movie was. I only had brief memories of it. And then my husband and I were watching it. I guess this was probably about 15 years ago. And I'm like, I have seen this. I have seen this. This is that movie that I blocked out. And it's it's one of my favorite movies now because I love Roddy McDowell. So, but yeah, I Star Trek always, always going to be a part of my life. Always. Yeah, and that's the thing about Star Trek. It's uh, it's something that I that I've having grown up with it as you have. You know, it's something that as I as I get older and I revisit things, it's like wow. You know, I felt this way about when I was a kid, and I feel this way about when I'm older. This strikes me differently than that. So. Uh, it's so interesting to 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 revisit this this stuff because it doesn't change you change and what you bring to it changes right and that's what makes it so timeless right i absolutely agree with that because yes uh i loved it as a child but i the original series will always have the strongest connection for me because that was my first series and it's so t- tied so heavily to family and my dad in particular uh and so I always try to view things neutrally with something new. It is harder to do that with something that you've had all of your life. But I think I'm at the point in my life now where I can look at it uh, with an objective eye and say, yep, this works, and I see what they were doing here, and this was way ahead of its time. And I can appreciate things that I didn't appreciate or couldn't appreciate when I was four. 
And that's true of all of the series, every single one of them. I have a greater appreciation for them now because of my life experiences than I did when I was a kid. This whole conversation, Ronnie, one last anecdote I want to share. And did you ever watch the cartoon Doug on Nickelodeon? It was probably after your time. It was after my time, so I cannot say that I have watched This is that. one of the greatest cartoons of all time, and and I saw that it's available, uh, the complete series on DVD, so I'll be picking it up. But there's one there's one episode in particular of Doug where uh, there's this really scary movie, and, and everybody goes to see it, and Doug goes to see it, but he was too scared to open his eyes when the when they finally reveal the monster at the end. Uh, but then it's uh, the whole episode is building up to this, and people are making fun of how he didn't see it, and all the people are talking about it. It's really weighing on him, so he goes to see it again one last time. There's like the last showing, so he's this last opportunity to see it. He forces himself to open his eyes and watch, and you see the zipper and the suit in the back. <laughs> and, and he's like, oh, this is what I was scared of. And then it, it, it's revealed that all these other people were just, uh, uh, grandstanding about how they they were cool and they watched it and all this stuff, but they didn't really because they would have seen the zipper in the back. So he starts telling about the zipper and it's like this whole little story and it just teaches you about like confronting these fears of, of childhood and whatnot. And uh, it, that just struck me when we were talking about you know, these monster suits and then seeing stuff as a kid and all that and and watching that as a kid that that kind of helped me like over. See, that's why it's a great cartoon, guys. It helped me like overcome like you know what I am gonna power on. Th- I'm gonna watch this eel crawl on the Chekhov's ear. <laughs> you know? I still have such a problem with that. Even now, it is still really hard for me. Hmm. Really, really hard. Because there, there are things that I do not like, and that's things crawling into ears and eye violence. Do not show me either of those things, and we'll all be fine. Well, I will. I, when I get dug on DVD, I will send you a copy so you can... You can <laughs> uh... <laughs> You can get some healing through watching that episode of Doug. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Brandy, it's it's been really fun talking to you about uh, your nightmares as a child, uh, as when it comes to Star Trek. So, uh, w- if people want to hear more of what you have to say online, where can they find you? Well, I am on Twitter as Brandywine12, and that's B R A N D I W I N E twelve, uh, because my name is Brandy. So, with an I. And uh, my husband and I have a podcast called The Dark Corner Podcast, which is on the Strange and Deadly Network. But we also have a Facebook group and page just as The Dark Corner Podcast. And uh, we just talk about whatever we feel like. But it, we tend to take a darker view of some of the things that are happening in pop culture. So... Uh, however, uh, there is a lot of swearing in that. So if you don't like swearing, I can't recommend that to you. Not suitable <laughs> for all ages. Not suitable for all ages. It does have an explicit rating. So it's not like you're going to go into it saying, this didn't have an explicit rating. It does. It really does. Because when I get on a rant, I, the, the words fly from my lips. <laughs> so. Well, you have been warned, listeners. Yes, but uh, but my husband and I have a great time, and uh, we just we've talked about everything from the Muppets to tarot cards, to astrology, to uh, Marvel comics. I mean, we just Marvel run comics. The whole what about DC comics? I am not as big of a fan of DC comics. We'll talk after this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying they're bad. It's just. It's just not what appeals to me as a comic reader. I'm sorry. Gotcha. Well, Brandy, this was a great topic you brought to the podcast today. Thank you so much. And if any of you listeners out there have experiences where you were scared or sad or, you know, just watching TOS through the eyes of a child, stories you want to share, episodes that stuck with you in that way, please comment on the Babel Conference. Let us know. You email us. You know, we're all about the interaction. So we'd love to hear some of your memories and and nightmares (laughs) that you have when you were a kid (laughs) as well. Well, Scary Star Trek isn't the only thing we've been discussing this week on Trek FM. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, the 602 Club. I I just love that idea that wars aren't just won by the soldiers there. They won by everybody at home doing everything that's possible. And here it literally meant that they had to go and risk their lives to make sure that happened. And it was just kind of... I think it was just something really beautiful in that picture that salvation would come from fishermen. To the journey! 
they do this incredible job of double bluffing you about which ship's gonna make it and mm-hmm. because you, yeah. you're thinking it's the one that's pretty much intact yeah. and, and good no here's the videos and honestly I think that's the reason it didn't make my list is that I love the way they end the episode and there's this period in the middle of the episode where I actually kind of get bored like something kind of dies in the middle of the episode and then it gets really interesting again it's at the scary. end and then they pull the yeah <laughs> warp 5 I just thought, you know, those are where, of course, some of the other Enterprise references come up. He was a Mako. He fought in those Indian Romulan Wars. I really like that that background and that tie-in. And it makes sense that, you know, over the course of a hundred years, that somebody's going to kind of go a little crazy and and, you know, get to this point where they're just, you know seething for some for some kind of revenge or, or something so and introducing the edge a star trek discovery podcast what have you done out there on the edge of federation space welcome to the edge trek fm's brand new podcast where we dive into the final frontier of the newest star trek series star trek discovery the first star trek series to be on air in 12 and a half years something like that And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website, and grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click Discussion. On the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit, Renee Roberts, Norman Lau, Aaron Harvey, Tim Robertson, Nick Anastasio, Richard Marquez, and Corey Elron. We could not do this show without you, and you make it all worthwhile every week. As for me personally, you can find me on Twitter at M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show, you can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. So thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. Standard Orbit.